All righty, we got a little ground to cover tonight. Um, we've talked about forgiveness of uh, the the general sense of how God forgives us. And you remember that we looked at a, a parable that was um, that was a pretty important one. Um, Matthew chapter 18, where um, Jesus is answering questions about, you remember what the subject was? Prayer uh, and the kingdom of God. So it was that the forgiveness was not the, it was, it was more the application than it was the topic. So there, there's a series of statements through Matthew 18. These are how these are. This is how a disciple lives. This is how the kingdom of heaven is like. This is how we live in the kingdom of heaven. So he was he was talking about how disciples treat disciples, how disciples live and act in the world, which is it, it throws a little bit of a, a burr in it because you might leap to the conclusion that he's only talking about Christians forgiving Christians. How many times, and the word brother is used a lot, uh, a brother should forgive a brother, and you would be uh, tempted to think that Jesus was really only telling us that we need to forgive other Christians 70 times seven. But you have to remember back in the Beatitudes, uh, or the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He said, if someone tells you to carry a pack a mile, you carry it another pack a mile. And, and he wasn't talking about onward Christian soldiers. He was talking about Roman soldiers. And so, so the language of forgiveness, while a lot of this language seems to indicate uh, within the community of faith. And that's, that's fair. Okay. That's, 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 that's vital. We as the, uh, a matter of fact, one of the, one of the commentators said that, that one of the, the reasons that, uh, that Jesus was so adamant about forgiveness, it was not so we would be obedient in our forgiveness. It's not so that we would feel better it's not so that we would heap burning coals on the heads of those who uh, who wronged us, and now we are benevolently forgiving them, and won't that be a good example for them? Uh, one writer was very strong. He said the reason Jesus was so adamant about forgiveness is that it builds community. That it is it is that it, it is forgiveness that the community of faith is built upon. We had several videos. And I don't know if you remember the, the video that Bridget and I did to introduce the series. But before we got on camera, both of us were thinking about situations in our own families where the lack of forgiveness had poisoned the family uh, for, in her case, a decade. In my case, it's still poisoned. And, and the lack of forgiveness within the community is particularly toxic because we're family, right? It's it, it's one thing to, to be wronged by a non-Christian and just come to the conclusion they don't know any better, or they they can't act any better, or they're going to hell anyway, or whatever your whatever your 
roundabout conclusion is, but but there's particular hurt when it's somebody in the family of faith. But we, we have to be cautious that we don't limit his comments on forgiveness just to the family of faith. So we talked about what is forgiveness? And my definition of it, does anybody remember it just in case? The right to be right and the right for the other person to be wrong. Giving up the right to be right and giving the other person the right to be wrong. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, that, 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 that it is, it is a, uh, it is always uh, spoken in scripture in the language of debt. And the, the, the fiduciary language. So, so forgiveness is, is you being owed a tangible debt and you making up your mind you're going to write that debt off. Not only are you going to write that debt off, you're going to hope for the best for the debtor. You're, you're going to maintain the relationship between you and the debtor. You're, you're going to uh, 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 hope for uh, them to do well. And all of that was modeled in the uh, story. So the king or the master forgave the debt, uh, and, and it said he had compassion on him. He, he, he wanted the best for him. And so the, uh, the story uh, ends with uh, uh, the instruction on, um, on uh, the application for uh, Peter, the answer to his question. And we uh, kind of concluded last week with uh, Max Lucado's uh, quote that, that we, we begin to understand this kind of forgiveness when we <clears throat> stop focusing on what someone has done to us and begin focusing on what God has done for us. And I said in, in the church, we can't, we can't even approach this topic without the lens of the cross. And so that brings us to today or next Sunday, when we talk about the third uh, leg of this, um, Tim Keller says that there are uh, uh, different aspects of forgiveness. There's reconciliation, where the internal forgiveness is not dependent on the response of the other person. So, so we are forgiving someone else and our forgiveness of them biblically is not dependent on their acceptance or their response or the circumstances. And then he uses the word reconciliation. So internal forgiveness and then reconciliation. The work of actual reconciliation is dependent on the wrong person. In other words, I'm going to ask you, Bill, to forgive me. You're the wrong person. Reconciliation depends on whether or not you're going to engage. So I, I don't have the ability to uh, ask forgiveness and to reconcile. I have the ability to grant forgiveness and open the possibility of reconciliation. But where forgiveness can be a unilateral thing, reconciliation always involves two parties. Georgie talked about that last week. So then he talks about the resources that are necessary for forgiveness. Now, when Keller is talking about this, he's not just talking about us being forgiven by God or us forgiving someone else. He's going to extend this to us forgiving ourselves. And one of those resources is humility. It's, it's the poverty of spirit that Jesus talked about in the Beatitudes. 
that comes from knowing that our salvation is purely a gift, a grace gift. Or by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2a. It's, it's a, a free gift of God. So, so uh, a humility of spirit that knows that we can do nothing to, uh, uh, to enact or to indebt God to forgiveness. So, so uh, last week we struggled a little bit with the uh, language that felt like uh, forgiveness was conditional. That uh, I, I, you are forgiven if you forgive. And we uh, said Sunday morning that that cannot be because if that were the case, we would be putting God in our debt. And we, we would be holding up his forgiveness with our forgiveness. And you cannot do that. A, a sovereign God cannot be compromised. He, he, he cannot be placed in our debt. And so it's, 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 it's the way the language reads in the New Testament. And it sounds very conditional, but it cannot be that way. It has to. We have to see it as a, as a flip script that that as we forgive others, we embrace fully the forgiveness that God has given us. As we extend forgiveness, then we are able to uh, uh, fully receive forgiveness. But if we receive, if if we will not grant forgiveness, then we don't understand forgiveness. Ergo, we cannot receive forgiveness. So it's, it's, it's like a, which comes first, the chicken or the egg. But what we cannot do is to think that God's willingness or ability to forgive is dependent on anything I can do. There's nothing I can do to work for God's forgiveness, even forgiving someone else. So it's an output, but in the New Testament, it's presented as, as additional. Does that make any sense? Sorry. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I say so. New Testament is conditional. <clears throat> the way the language says the, 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 the in many passages of scripture, it says, and especially I think it's Mark 11, he says, If you do not forgive others, the Heavenly Father will not forgive you. And that sounds conditional. But a sovereign God cannot be placed in debt to man. He, he cannot be dependent on something I do for an action that he would do. So, so the characteristic or the nature of God cannot be violated by placing us in the driver's seat with forgiveness. I'm not going to forgive Jeremy. So I'm not going to let God forgive me. Well, I don't have the option to let God do anything. I could forgive Jeremy, and I have. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but but I, I I have no power to uh, to indebt a sovereign God to my action for His action. So so it's it's a language that that is so strong a connection that it feels conditional, but it cannot be. Because that would violate the sovereignty of God. So in yeah. practical terms, whether you forgive Jeremy or not, has God forgiven you? He has. Have I embraced it? Have I appropriated it? No. I see. Because if I cannot forgive Jeremy, then I can't even comprehend God's forgiveness of me. 
Now, I could comprehend God's forgiveness of me and then later have that put to the test, which, which is what happens most often, right? We, we comprehend God's great forgiveness and then something happens, somebody hurts us, somebody wrongs us, and we have to, uh, all of a sudden, we, we're tested as to whether we really do get it. And when I think of and the story that we'll go to today in Luke 23, it sort of brings it home to me that the, the punishment that has to be there for sin is God's wrath. He has to punish sin. That's, that's his nature. He's a, he's a God of justice. So he has to punish sin. But he's chosen to punish Jesus for my sin. And so the wrath of God and the grace of God, they meet at the cross. And uh, the way that God forgives my sin is because his wrath has been satisfied. How has his wrath been satisfied? Not because I did anything, but because Jesus shed blood on the cross. And, and it is that, that forgiveness transaction. I, I almost regret that forgiveness has become such a soft sell for us. I forgive you. I'd rather ask forgiveness than permission. And we've, 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 we've turned it into something that's somehow separated from the, the dramatic, excessive, brutal death on the cross. That's the only way that forgiveness can happen. And so that helps me skip a little bit to understand that, that nothing I can do would activate that. That is the sovereign plan of God from the beginning of the universe that we would need a savior and that he would be Jesus and he would die on the cross. So why is it still hard to forgive others? That's kind of what we talked about last week. Well, the question this week is why is it so hard to forgive ourselves? That's what I was going to say. It's, we got we to ask for forgiveness. You have to repent and ask for forgiveness for your sin. Are they, are they tied to the same? I mean, it would be interesting to unpack, right? I mean, are they tied to the same thing? So, one of the primary resources, right, that's necessary for forgiveness is humility. Like, I mean, is there, is there a link, I guess, between recognition that, right, that, that there's nothing we can do that in that God to forgive us. So that's understanding like grace provision, right? And obviously seeing that through the cross, but then forgiving yourself, is that like a, is there some narcissistic trait in that that, that we struggle with that? There kind of is. Humility or? There, there kind of is. Um, the way Keller describes it, he says there's a vertical or upward dimension. We that, that's what we talked about. What John talked about the first week. There's 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 God has made forgiveness available to us through the cross, and then there's the uh, the outward uh, dimension where it is talking about us granting forgiveness to other people, and then there is a sense of an inward uh, dimension where. We have to forgive ourselves. In other words, we have to get on board with what God has already declared. And uh, so there's there's basically three kinds of people, right? There's people who have done something heinous and deserve to be punished, right? They, they need forgiveness, and they know they need forgiveness. Um, 
they've done something that's objectively evil. It's it's murder. It's it's uh, uh, adultery. It's uh, hurting a child. It's it's objectively evil. Okay, they 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 need to be punished, and they feel guilty. They should feel guilty. Maybe they don't feel guilty, but they should. Then they have we have people who feel guilty, not in proportion with the thing they've done. Uh, I let somebody down. Uh, I cut a guy off in traffic. Um, I said I would do something and I didn't do it. Uh, I didn't water the geraniums. And, and, and that, that self-imposed guilt is, is still very real, though if we're outside looking in, we go, how big a deal is that really? That's, 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 not, that's not something that you would really need to get worked up about. And then the third kind is people who have allowed others to place guilt on them when no deed has been done at all. Um, heard of many, including my wife, who had, um, uh, my wife had a father who was not a believer, and it was not unusual for him to say to her in various contexts, well, I thought you were a Christian. If you were a Christian, you'd do this. You'd act like this. And you have an external voice who's, who's placing a burden on somebody. And they are they take on guilt because of something that they didn't do at all. Yeah. You're probably about to answer my question. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, he was the master manipulator. Who was that? Her father. Yeah. Because he was trying to get her to do what he wanted her to do. Right. Using what something she believed. And that's essentially what Hamas is doing with Israel. Right. We, you, the value system that you're supposed to go. I, I just, I, I throw up a little bit in my mouth when I hear Hamas talk about Israel not uh, following the rules of war. <laughs> and I, was, I need this standard to be on you, but it's not a standard on me. And where I was going with that, George, is that we we live in a culture that's so me-centered, stay with me, that our standards are lost. You do you. You be the best version of yourself. You decide what your identity is. You decide what's right or wrong. You decide what the what 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 your uh, standards will be. Well, all of a sudden, you don't have a standard to bounce off of when you start feeling guilty about something because you're the higher power. <laughs> you're you're the one that that gets to uh, identify you. So so we don't you don't you don't have a any kind of objectivity to say in a in a global sense this is a wrong attitude this is a wrong action i don't want it to be wrong i don't want to be the gender i was born with i don't want to do this i don't want to do this i don't want to do this so it, it, it it's you do your truth i'll do my truth postmodern post and all of a sudden we don't have a standard for uh, right or wrong, so we don't have a standard to alleviate guilt. 
Uh, who, who do I ask for forgiveness if I'm my own God? God, will you be? Will you forgive me? That's the problem. I can't forgive me. <laughs> and so the guilt, the shame, all of that is compounded. And and and, and it's it sounds like it's easy just preaching to the choir. But without the standard that is the word of God and the will of God, there is no way to forgive yourself. Because in a postmodern sense, you're asking yourself to forgive yourself, and your whole problem is that you can't forgive yourself. <laughs> and so it's it comes back full circle to us understanding that we need a standard for self-forgiveness, even as we need standards like forgive as the Father has forgiven you, uh, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. We need those standards to give us a, a direction so that we'll know where we're on course. And it, it seems almost silly to talk about being off course in that we cannot seem to forgive ourselves. And so if we've done something heinous, we need something to say it was heinous. If we've done something that's trivial, we need something to say it's trivial. If we have allowed somebody else to manipulate us, we need something that's going to call out their manipulation. And guess what does all three of those? The word. It, it, it's it's so simple, and yet it's complex. Yeah, Reba. Part of the core of why we don't forgive ourselves is one is a lack of faith. Two, we're trying to control God. So it is kind of like a form of idolatry because we're not accepting it is worked. We're not accepting what he said. On Sunday, there will be several different kinds of people listening. There will be Christians who have embraced Christ as Savior. And they have asked God to forgive their sins and and walk as a disciple. And yet they might have done something that they know is is not right, according to this to the scripture. They they need to learn how to forgive themselves. And for, for some, it's an easy transaction. I, I walk with God every day. I know that he, he waits to forgive me. I know that forgiveness is, uh, is contingent or, or forgiveness is activated with confession. The word confess does not mean reveal. It means agree. God doesn't, we don't need to reveal our sins to God. It's not like I pray and he says, huh? <laughs> Alan, you didn't. Well, you know I did and so to confess is to agree, to restore a relationship, to be back at one with the Father, atonement, at one And so the, the second kind of person that might be there Sunday is that they might be investigating what it means to be a Christian. They, they may never have, uh, Rico, they maybe never have done that. That, that action where they said, I want to be a follower of Christ. Father, would you forgive my sins? And they're kind of wondering if maybe their past is a little too shady for God to actually forgive. And then there's going to be a third group of people who wonder if they've committed a sin 
that's so egregious that God won't forgive it because they've heard somewhere in the back of their mind that there is one that's unpardonable, that's unforgivable, and they're afraid they might have committed it. So, so those will be the, the three kinds of people. People who are lost and don't care, they don't, they don't care if they're forgiven or not. They, they don't they, they, their guilt is handled some some other way usually some kind of self-medication but they they don't they don't seek forgiveness they don't want forgiveness they won't receive forgiveness there's a, a fourth person probably a good sized number of relatively new Christians who are trying to work out just what does it mean to live the Christian life? And forgive others. It, it's it's a new experience for them, and they need to be encouraged. Right. Yeah, and and being able to forgive ourselves, the devil loves it when we won't forgive ourselves. The devil's a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He he loves it when we're so preoccupied with how worthless we are. He loves it because we have now put forgiveness back on a performance track. If I could only be better, God could forgive me. If I could only stop doing this, then maybe God would forgive me. If I could only start doing this, if I could care more about people, if I could stand my mother-in-law's broccoli casserole, if I could only, then maybe God would forgive me. And and the devil loves it when he's got us there. My mother-in-law is not living, so I, so I Although... She may or may not put cheese whistle and broccoli and thought I might eat it. <laughs> There's two things wrong with that, broccoli and cheese whiz. George, you had a thought. For about a period of 10 years on a weekly basis, I taught Bible at the uh, Atlanta uh, Federal Penitentiary. And one of the inmates, Jim Christian, uh, and I were talking after one of our lessons and he said, George, he said, uh, if I were to tell you what I have done, because he was a kingpin from the Northeast, uh, drugs, murder, uh, whatever. And uh, he said, it would curl your blood. And then he said, uh, he said, uh, I know what I have done. And I know that it was wrong and that I've wronged others. And I should never, ever be paroled from this institution. I should be incarcerated forever because of what I've done. But he said, I am grateful that Jesus has forgiven me and I can live with myself and I can sleep at night knowing that I am in his arms and not in the arms of the federal Strong, strong statement. Andrew, I thought about one more type of person. They're in good shape. They're just enjoying a good sermon. <laughs> so I guess they'll be there Sunday, too. Isn't it too that the person who's been a Christian for a while, but still struggling with something that they haven't forgiven themselves? And that's where like, even trying to control, going back to controlling God and saying, God, no, my way is right. Yeah. Versus saying, no, it's your way. And I'm going to put my faith in you and trust in you instead of even putting that forgiveness 
the lack of forgiveness on myself. I mean, that's where we're trying to control God, that idolatry. And we have all kinds of strategies for that. We blame shift. We we say, well, it really wasn't my fault. I know I did it. No, it's not right, but it really wasn't my fault. Or we say somebody else uh, made me do that. Or we drift into a pity party, a self kind of self beat me up zone where woe is me. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. But there's no forward motion. something that uh, that defames the, the, the fight of the gospel. You know, if, if we can start thinking about the things I need to do in order for God to love me, uh, it, it's just, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy time. And, and you're right, anger is one of them. Don't, it gives the devil a foothold. Because if I'm angry at someone else, I'm not focusing on solutions or forgiveness or reconciliation or God's love. I'm pouring out my energy in that anger. Right. Versus forgiveness, right? Exactly. So it's interesting that at the end of all of the Gospels, he gives us the, the scenario that Jesus has been crucified. And so at the point we have the wrath of God and the grace of God in collision, Jesus is hanging on the cross and Luke gives us two little tidbits of forgiveness that none of the other gospel writers did. First, Jesus says about his executioners, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that was a, a theme that Stephen picked up, uh, the first martyr in the New Testament when, when Stephen was stoned. Forgive them. They don't know what they do. And so Luke picked that up. Luke, the the compassionate physician. I don't. I, I'm. I'm. We all think that probably Simon Peter was his source, along with Paul later on in Acts. But you know, Luke was not there. But the other thing that he picked up was the conversation between Jesus and the other criminals who had been crucified. Nobody else picked that up. But Luke did. Yeah. He does not say 
that he would not forgive them even if they didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> Absolutely true. That forgiveness, it's unilateral. So in Luke chapter 23, um, beginning verse 34, 32, let's back up to there. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Now, there were uh, many, many crucifixions that took place. Uh, but the criminals that were crucified had done something pretty off the charts. And when they came to the place that was called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right, one on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Andrew, forgive them, even if they do know what they do. <laughs> they cast lots to divide his garments. The people stood by watching. They taunted him. He saved others. Let him save himself. Verse 39, one of the criminals railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourselves. Save us. But the other rebuked him, said, Do you not fear God? Now, I don't know where this guy heard God's voice. I don't know how he knew anything. I, I think that uh, most people have heard more about God than we give them credit for. Uh, we we think about the remote places on the planet, and that's probably fair. But I would venture to say that in the United States, it would be hard to find someone who had never heard about God. The true God? or they, they, they knew God talk. Okay. They they knew about religion and they 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 knew to be against it or they knew to say they were against it and 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 I, I don't know maybe India the same way that they 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 know about gods they know about uh, um, deities uh, the 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 separate others the powerful others so so religious talk was probably familiar to this guy don't you fear God don't don't you. Are you, you're you're going to blaspheme even to the and and you know we hear about people on death row that that are crude to the point of whatever. So he says, "Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong." So. Oddly enough, there's a little bit of a pattern of forgiveness there. He's taking accountability. He's he's taking responsibility for his actions. We 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 owe we're, we deserve this. And then he said, "Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." And he said to him, "Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise." There is nothing cryptic about that story. There's nothing hidden. There's no words that need to be translated. the The takeaway from that is to the person who is having trouble forgiving themselves, regardless of the circumstances, everyone is eligible. Everyone's eligible. He stuck this little story in the scripture to make us say, well, what about a guy on his deathbed? What about a guy on a cross? What about a guy who's, who's done horrible things his whole life and in the last 15 minutes he gets saved? That doesn't seem fair not fair it's grace 
I told you, Chip says, if it's fair, everybody go to hell. <laughs> and so all the all the roadblocks that we would put on forgiveness based on merit, not there. So let's turn over to the most famous prayer for forgiveness in the whole Bible. Psalm 51. Also, he was acknowledging God. Yeah. He, he was. Yeah. It was important that in that interaction. Because and that led me to believe maybe he'd heard Jesus called the Son of God. Yeah. Maybe he was part of the trials that took place that day. You know, they sometimes it surprises us. They, they hung up three guys because that means there was three trials somewhere. Although, I don't know if they had a a trial before Pilate, maybe just a, a centurion that decided they were worth killing. So, Psalm 51. Um, the problem with very, with a lot of us in modernity is that we judge our forgiveness on whether or not we feel forgiven. We, we place it into a subjective, emotional, I still feel dirty. I still feel bad. I still feel shame. I, I, I can't forgive myself because I just can't feel forgiven. But we know we can't trust our feelings. And it brings us back to the two kinds of guilt, Right? We, I, I may feel just as bad if I forgot to pick up my child at carpool as I did if I had done something horrible to another person, either before I was a believer or as a believer. Our feelings can't be trusted because they're not, they're not regulated by, by the scope or the, uh, the, the, uh, the intensity of the, the crime, so to speak, you know? Uh, Elena asked for a blue balloon. You got a red balloon. She's in tears. You feel awful. Well, you should feel awful. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I I don't want to overplay it, but the point is that we we feel just as bad over something trivial, and, and certainly some people can make us feel just as bad over something trivial as when we have something that is brought to mind by the Holy Spirit to convict us of hate towards a person or or that we lusted or that there's been anger or that, that, that we've slandered somebody's character. Those are the, the things that we should feel guilty about. Whereas I don't know that the will of God or the word of God condemns me if I forgot to show up at a dinner party because there was a lot of other stuff going on. And so our feelings can't be trusted. So we get to Psalm 51. And the, the interesting thing about Psalm 51 is that David, we, we you all know the circumstances with Psalm 51, right? Uh, that it was the Psalm of uh, repentance that David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, and so 
the interesting thing about the story from 2 Samuel 11 is that David was so narcissistic, he was blind to his own sin. And it wasn't until Nathan told him the story about the, the poor guy with one lamb and the rich guy with lots of lambs and the, the rich guy stole the poor guy's one lamb and and all of a sudden David is aware and I'm going, golly, he's slow. <laughs> but it just shows that he had drifted from the standard. Right, he drifted from the word. He he begun to rationalize and 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 justify his own sin. And when God allowed the pain of conviction to flow through Nathan to him, he knew that he needed to do something about it. And so, months later, probably a year later, he wrote this psalm. And in the psalm. We see all of the processes of a healthy self-forgiveness. So he, he starts off, and, it, and, and when you hear something that after we've talked a little while tonight, that sounds like, hey, that's a healthy talking point for forgiving yourselves, call it out, okay? He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. You see it? The basis of forgiving ourselves is God's greatness. It's, it's God's, uh, according to your steadfast love. And the word steadfast love there is the, the Hebrew word chesed, which means a, a steadfast um, um unrelenting kind of love, often a one-way love. And then he said, according to your mercy, blot out my transgressions. So this is true repentance. There is false repentance, right? Mm -hmm. My bad, God. Sorry. Just kidding. Hope he doesn't strike me dead. That's not repentance. That's uh, profanity. <laughs> um. So true repentance, when we are seeking God's heart, when we're heart, when we realize that what sin does is that breaks the relationship. Uh, I, I think we all of us who have been fathers, we see that very clearly. When, when I do something to my children, or when my children do something to, to me, the the byproduct is whatever is broken or whatever is forgotten, or whatever lie is told. The, the real root is that the relationship is broken, that, that there's been an attack on the relationship. I don't trust my son. My son is hurt by me. And so the relationship has to be restored. I have to forgive him. He has to forgive himself. He has to forgive me. I have to forgive myself. We see all that in Psalm 51. So he uses the term of debt, blot out my transgression. Hide it, white it out, erase it. And then he goes to the language of ritual washing. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Does that ring a bell with anybody? 1 John 1, 9. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Now, we don't believe that baptism is a ritual washing. We believe that it is an identification, that it is a, an outward expression of an inward transformation. But the, for the Jews, the language of ritual washing would have been familiar. Uh, I'm going to do something that shows, that, that, that puts me in a place of humility. I'm going to be washed from my... And then he says, I know my transgressions. Anybody? He's not minimalizing it. He's not blame shifting. I know my transgressions. I own it. I did it. I'm responsible. My sin is ever before me. If this has been a year, and we think it's been that close to that because the baby has been born and died. So it's been nine months at least. Um, you know, I guess we could say stillborn or miscarried or whatever, but 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 the timeline seems to be that he's been carrying this for quite a while. And it, it says it's been before me. And then he says the most cryptic thing in the whole psalm against you and you alone have I sinned. Patterson says, scrub away my guilt. Yeah. It's more than just a shower. It's pumice. <laughs> it's work. It's, it's lava soap. Yeah. What version are you reading from? I'm reading ESV. Yeah, uh, it's reading NIV. Yeah. In NIV, it talks about like cleansing with a, it's a high sock. Right? Yeah, it's a, a rough sponge. Right. Um, how does your say uh, verse 4 verse 4 yeah you're the one that I've violated alright NIV says and you've seen it all <laughs> against you you only yeah I, I've hung up a lot of times over that you alone have I sinned mm -hmm. because I'm going well he abused his power as a king he committed adultery. He, he more or less trafficked Bathsheba into the palace. He got her pregnant. He had her husband killed. He lied about it. I mean, I, I can think of several other players that it feels like he's sinned against. See, I have a translation here. If you're not familiar with the new English translation, all these scholars and stuff got together. They actually say against you, you above all, I have sinned. I think that's a better way to say it. Um, he, he was broken because he understands that he first sinned against God when he disdained his commandments. And that the sin against God was the root rot for all the rest of it. And and nobody's trying to say that he didn't sin against Bathsheba or Uriah or the nation of Israel because he abused his power as a king. He abused the king of kings 
who entrusted him with this kingship. And I, you know, as a as a pastor, if if I do something awful, I feel worse about it because I've been put in a place of influence. As a father, as a teacher, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that your judgment is stricter, he said in James 3. And so he is not in any way saying he didn't sin against anybody else. He's saying that he sinned against God above all. Um, so then he says... He, he pretty much trampled on all the Ten Commandments. Yeah, got them all. But, but, but keep in mind, what a pattern for a true repentance. He's not, he's not shifting the blame. He's not throwing a pity party. He, 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 he's already done that. He, he was in dust and ashes trying to, to pray for the child to survive. And uh, he, he, he is, he, he's not beating himself up. He's owning it. And he's saying, I'm, I'm seeking your heart, God. You trusted me once. Will you trust me again? And if you'll forgive me, I'll forgive me. But I love the next part. He says, you, against you and you all of us, and I've done what's evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words. You're right. My sin deserves death. The wages of sin is death. My sin is nailed to the cross, and Jesus died for it. I was brought forth in iniquity. Now, I don't know if David had unusual insight into original sin, but uh, theologically it stands up. But he says, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You do. You, I'm the, the one I'm most likely to lie to is me. Well, mm -hmm. I can lie to others too, but I, I'll lie to myself pretty quickly. And he says, you desire inward truth. You got you to gotta be truthful to yourself to forgive yourself. So he says, purge me with hyssop. I shall be clean. Wash me. I'll be whiter than snow. Joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. So he sort of comes back full circle. But then he says, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. Now I need to forgive me. I, I need to, you. I, I have acknowledged, I've proclaimed your forgiveness. One of the most moving experiences I've ever had in my whole life. I took a youth group to the Washington Parish prison in Angie, Louisiana. And we were doing a worship service for the inmates. And, uh, and so the inmates were all in the bleachers and we were all on the floor. And then the, uh, one of the inmates said to the guard to ask me something. And he came over and he said, they would like to sing for you. They, they want their choir to sing. Okay. So all of us had to go to one end of the gym. All of them went to the other end of the gym. We got in the bleachers. They got on the risers. And they started singing this. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm going, these are guys, George, they're going to be in here a long time. But they're saying, God, you can create a clean heart in me. I can, I can somehow forgive myself because God, you are creating a clean heart in me. It wasn't enough if God simply cleaned him up. He had to clean his heart inside out because he knew what was at stake. Do not cast me away from your presence. It's the relationship. Okay? It's, it's not, can I make amends? Although it's important to make amends. Can I, can I buy you a, a new car that I wrecked yours? That, that's okay. But he says the relationship is what, don't cast me away from your presence. That's, uh, I, I want a clean heart, a right spirit. And God's not interested in humiliation. He's interested in the relationship. Patterson says, tune me in to foot-tapping songs. <laughs> Set these once broken bones to dancing. I like it. I like it. What does he say? What's the next verse? Don't look too close for the blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. Yeah. And then 11. Yeah, it doesn't have to make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis wheel from the chaos of my life. Yeah. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me like you did from Saul. And the Spirit of God left Saul. Don't, don't do that, God. I, I've messed up, but I. I, I, I'm seeking your face. Don't, don't let the relationship be severed. Don't throw me out with the trash. Ah. Or fail to breathe holiness in me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way. David understood his role as a leader. And he said, you know, after Aaron's funeral, several people said to me that the, the transparency that we dealt with the fact that we were honest about the way he died was refreshing because they wouldn't necessarily expect a leader to be that vulnerable. But in that vulnerability, it encouraged some people. And I think what David is saying here, if God, you will forgive me and I can forgive myself, then I can teach transgressors your ways. Then I can help other people to experience this transaction like it has happened uh, with me. Well, I didn't have time for it. So I guess we'll have to talk about the unpardonable sin some other time.